Oh, well, hello there. Nice of you to finally show up. What? I, I, I showed up early. Uh, the start time for the game was 45 minutes ago. Yeah, I, I know. And in all the games that I've played in, as long as you showed up no later than an hour after the start time, you were on time. That That is just ridiculous. Uh, whatever. You're here now. Did you at very least bring your character? Oh, yes, I sure did. And it is a beaut. Okay, perfect. Um, So everybody knows, what did you make? So I found these cool homebrew rules for my character that I'm really excited about. Uh, I only wanted characters from the official rule books. Um, but, okay, um, what abomination did you make? So you know how I like music, and I've always really wanted to play kind of a monstrous race. So I found this cool rule set, and I made a Tarrasque Bard. Oh, my God. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about planning and running Session Zero for your campaigns. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And let's just jump right in and and really start off with kind of defining what a Session Zero is. And Danielle, I know that this one is kind of near and dear to your heart, so I'd, I'd like you to kind of explain to the listeners what a Session Zero is. Oh, you bet. I I love a good session zero. Um, essentially what a session zero is, it's when before you start like your whole campaign, you know, before everybody comes in and you, you drop that first scenario and you get everybody playing, you get everybody together at the table um, so that as a group, you can discuss different aspects of the game together, um, hash out the details of, you know, when and where, what and why. Also, Kind of everybody's expectations, kind of get those out on the table so that everybody knows like what they want and what everybody else at the table wants and what to expect, I guess, out of the game. Yeah, it, it really is kind of that um, that way for not only the DM to understand what the players want, but also for the players to understand kind of what the DM, what the DM's expectations are. So. It's a it's a two it's a really a two way street at this time so that everybody walks away going yeah I can I can do this this makes sense this this sounds like a game I want to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a really good idea to have a session zero. Um, more so if you're playing with people that you don't know very well. Like if if you're playing with your party, like your group of friends, and collectively you've been playing together for 30 years Mm -hmm. every week, you probably don't need to have a session zero. Um, Everybody has a pretty good idea about what everybody's up to, and obviously the group meshes well. Um, But you can still do a session zero. We'll talk more about it later on in the episode, about some of the fun things that you can do with a session zero um, that don't necessarily need to be you know, discussing rules and such. Yeah, I mean, if if it's a group that you've played with for many, many years and everybody kind of understands what everybody's trying to get out of the game and everything else, uh, a session zero could be as simple as the DM sending out a little primer via email. Um, maybe it, maybe it's a little bit more formalized than that, but, but it could be that simple. Uh, if you're playing with a bunch of people that you've never played with before, it really, I think, behooves you to make sure that you have a, an actual formal, 
in person or online, whatever your play method is going to be, um, session where everybody can kind of talk about uh, about the things that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that being said, if you do intend to have yourself your own handy dandy little session zero, um, I would highly recommend making sure that you have some sort of structure or document or something set up beforehand uh, before everybody shows up so that you have an idea about what you want to cover during the session zero, you know, just, it doesn't have to be extensive or anything like that, but just to keep the conversation on track. So it doesn't just end up turning into a hangout sesh or you maybe forget to cover something super important that you Mm -hmm. really, really wanted to cover, but you didn't have it written down. Somebody brought pizza, you got distracted and, uh, and then it's gone. Yep. Um, So for those of you who have listened to the show for a while now, you may recall that back all the way back on episode eight, we did briefly talk about session zero on our build your own series that we did there for a little while. Uh, we, Danielle and I kind of had a discussion, felt like there was a, enough, uh, enough to this topic that it really deserved its own episode. So, uh, we're, we're going to be adding a lot to that conversation. We may touch on a couple of things that we talked about before, but, uh, I think most of this will be exploring into new territory. Uh, <laughs> but moving on, really the big part of a session zero is setting those expectations, both from a from a player's perspective as well as from a DM's perspective. But let's maybe start with talking about those players' expectations. And and really where you start there is is kind of a I feel like it's it's an open-ended question of of what are you really hoping to uh get from the campaign? What sort of campaign are you looking to, to be in or, or however you want to phrase that question? And mm-hmm. the players may, may respond with like, Oh, I want this epic high fantasy thing, or I want a joke campaign where, where everything that we're doing is a punchline and, and we're, we're doing jokes left and right. Um, it could be that they're really just there to hang out and chat with their friends. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of the things that surprised me the most when I first got into D&D was that I had this preconceived idea about what I thought the D&D was and what made a good game. Mm-hmm. But talking with a bunch of different gamers over the over the years, um that opinion is not shared by at all. You know, there's there's some people I I had one guy in one of my campaigns who joined the campaign to just sit there and listen and roll dice if I asked him to. <laughs> but and I, I I approached him a couple of times. I was like, "Hey, like are you are you having fun?" <laughs> Cuz you just you just kind of sitting there and, and he was just like, "No, this is the best. I love this." And I was like, "All right. Well, you know, if you if you just want to show up and listen to the story, but this, again, that's another important reason to have a session zero because if you find out that you have four players coming to your game that just want to sit there and listen to the story, if you as a DM are not able to hold up eight hours of exposition a, a week on your own or whatever <laughs> on your own with no with nobody to play off of, uh, that's that's a good thing to know ahead of time. Well, and I think that it's important to also note where those. Uh, what they want from the campaign are at odds. And and I see this most often from people that have this this view of D&D as it's going to be an epic story. It's going to be we're heroes and we're fighting to save the day and 
and or or maybe we're anti-heroes and we're fighting to ruin the day. Uh, but but nonetheless, it is this very serious story focused model where you have another group at the table that maybe is really looking for that where they're laughing all the time, they're cracking jokes and making fun of the of the game and stuff like that. And I find that if you have groups like those two combined at the table, it can really cause some friction because them joking about the game is really going to get on the nerves of the people that want a serious campaign and the serious campaigners not being willing to joke is going to going to be like oh why won't you joke with us kind of thing and so just setting those expectations at the start can solve a lot of headaches mhm it can it can really help especially with like you said having your players know um, that these people, the, the, these other players, might just have a different opinion of the game. Also, if you have some some very, very hard-set ideals with some of your players, they just may not mesh well in a campaign together, and that could having a session zero could quite literally put a stop to the whole campaign. If you find out that this person is going to absolutely hate this game because so-and-so wants to pack a chicken on a leash for the entire <laughs> campaign. You know, it's like these two people shouldn't play together. Let's hold off for a little bit. I need to change my players or have some discussions or work something different out, you know? Yep. And, and then kind of the next step from that type of campaign that we're looking at is really going to revolve around style of play. And when we talk about style of play, we're talking about those people that are maybe focused on role-playing versus combat, maybe puzzles or exploration. And and all four of those can, can kind of come together. And you're going to have people in any campaign that could be really focused on one of those four, right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I find that everybody kind of has their preference between those four. Like they usually lean heavily to one of them. Um, it's not often that I've met somebody who's just even keel across the board (laughs) on what they enjoy the most in a campaign. Um, But if you know, like if you've got three of your players who are really big into combat and one of your players who's really big into puzzles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Then you're going to want to kind of pull your ratios for the game in that respect, right? So, you know, you're only going to have 25% or less puzzles, you know, to kind of hit everybody's happy place. And as you're having this discussion and you identify this, that might be something that you want to bring up because if the person that is focused on puzzles really wants to be heavily focused on puzzles and has no interest in combat, it, it really warrants a conversation to, to say, listen, these people are all about combat. You're all about puzzles. We need to find some sort of middle ground. And mm-hmm. some of the ways that I have done that in the past, as I mentioned in in a, a couple episodes ago um, in my Pathfinder campaign, is you can tie in puzzles into some of these other activities. Uh, in, in that particular uh, episode, I was talking about this combat uh, situation where there was a puzzle to kind of be dealt with slash solved as part of combat. And if you do that, then the, the puzzle guy can focus on that and maybe participate in combat a little bit. And the combat guys can focus on the combat. And you kind of have this like mishmash of, of the things that, that are most important to them at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, 
it happens all the time in movies where you have you know your 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 big tough guy or whatever is fighting the big bad and you have the the sidekick who's i don't know maybe a floating panda and they're not <laughs> capable of combat but they're off doing other things that are still helpful even if they can't you know bring a gun to this particular fight um they're still they're still there they're still present they're still helping um just in a different capacity I think of like in uh, Return of the Jedi when Han Solo is like shooting his gun at the at the stormtroopers, but waiting on on R two to open the door, kind of thing. So you could you could do stuff like that where where the puzzle can move things forward in combat or make things easier in combat. Uh, don't make it to where something it 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 blocks off of of an avenue of ra- wrapping up combat. There should still be an out for that, but the puzzle should be. It should still have a have a a positive effect on what they're doing if it gets solved, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One, I, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but one of my favorite things that I read a couple years ago was every problem should have three solutions: an easy one that your party can do, a medium and a hard, right? But the easy one can be screwed up by your party. Right, mm-hmm. and so, but there's always multiple solutions to a problem. That way, as a DM, you also don't box yourself into a corner, uh, where the only way to solve this problem is with this gem that's on that player who fell off the cliff. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so let's let's maybe move on to the next uh, next little topic that we're talking about on the setting expectations. And it is the player no-go zones, understanding what your players just will not abide by in your game. Um, and some of this could just be be they don't like it. I've had players that have been really against having spiders in the game because um, they were just deathly afraid of spiders. But it could also be something tied to their personal history. So if Mm -hmm. they are a, uh, for instance, a rape survivor, they probably don't want to have a a, a heavily influenced by rape storyline in your game. So it it really does help to understand what those things are that just will not fly uh, with this with your players in the game. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I found, which I thought was pretty handy, um, was having consent forms, which mm-hmm. is pretty handy in a session zero, because you can just hand the form out and people don't need to write their names or give any explanation, but it basically just lists um, triggers, essentially. So if it's like, this is uh, this is something that would not be good for me as a player, you can put an X next to it, that kind of stuff. Um that way you can avoid some incredibly, incredibly horrible gameplay um, when you as a DM, especially you as the DM, because you're the one doing the story and you're not, you might not realize that this is going to be a thing. And you start describing this, this section of your story that you spent 20 hours working on and you're super happy with it and you start explaining it and then, and then your table kind of falls apart. And if you don't know why that's happening or that it's going to happen and you're not prepared for that. Um, Not to mention it, it can be traumatic for somebody at your table. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and and so if you're if you're looking for a, a a list that you can start from, if you just do a Google search for consent in gaming, um, there's a there's a pretty robust list out there, and the way that they do it is. Uh, red light, yellow light, green light. So red light is absolutely not. Yellow lights maybe in moderation, and green light is yeah, have at it. Mm-hmm. And and so do a search for that. But I, I do want to make sure to clarify one thing here because I've seen people talk about uh, things like consent and gaming lists online, and and I feel like a lot of people will overreact and say, oh well, if they can't if they can't put up with it, then they don't need to be in my game. And if that's your your opinion. That's perfectly fine, but you don't know whether or not they will put up with it unless you do something like this, where you give them the list. And if you do this list and you get back somebody saying, yeah, absolutely, I can't do this, this I, that I can't do slavery in the game, and maybe it was a core part of your game, just picking something randomly out of the air, uh, you may want to say, hey, listen, table, I understand that that somebody is not comfortable with this topic. I want you to know that this is a core part of the game that I am I am running and and no hard feelings if you if you decide that you cannot be part of the game, but it's something that I'm not willing to change because it's part of my game. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Um, but do it at the beginning instead of a, a session after you introduce this this pretty hardcore topic. Mm-hmm. And or you could decide, well, you know, this this particular aspect is not that important to my game, so I'm just going to not have it in there, and, and we've got a good gaming group that we can just move forward with. Absolutely. And you had mentioned on that list they had the red light, yellow light, green light. Um, and I just want to, because there's also something called lines and veils. Uh, so you can draw a line, which would kind of be a, a red light sort of scenario, which is none of this ever. I don't... Like you said with the spiders, I don't want to hear anything about spiders. None Mm. of it. Uh, A veil is it can happen off screen, but never interact with the characters, right? So it's fine to say there were spiders in town last night, but they're gone now, you know? And so it can be part of the story in that regard, as long as it happens essentially off camera, so to speak. I have, Mm -hmm. I've not heard of that, of that, that concept, the lines and veils concept. That's interesting. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, so it kind of just depends on how people... Like, is it, if it's a hard no for somebody, then it's a hard no. But if it's like, well, I just don't want to directly interact with it. But it's okay if you talk about it. Um, but speaking of with lines and veils, the, well, the other thing is, is you can have everybody um, and their dog fill out one of these consent forms, and they might not realize that something is a sensitive topic for them or something that they're uncomfortable with. And so another thing that I've heard groups do is to have an what's called an X card which is essentially just a card that sits in the middle of the table where everybody can have their own card. It doesn't really matter. And if any any person at the table, the DM or a player, starts saying something that's making somebody um, really uncomfortable, all they have to do is touch the X card. And it is understood because it's been clarified with all the players beforehand that if somebody touches the X card, the the topic needs to shift. It needs to change. You need to move away from this because it's causing someone um, to be uncomfortable or distressed or whatever. Yeah, and I, I I like the concept of that because I agree that that when you when you look at it on a piece of paper, it may be just like as simple as oh yeah, I can totally deal with that. Check it off. You're free to go. But then when you get into it, um, 
the the imaginations of the other players or the DM may be way more twisted than you thought it was going to be on that Mm -hmm. topic. And and so it helps to have something that you can intervene. So it may just be a matter of using that in combination with these other other uh, techniques. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's and you want to get this stuff, you know, dealt with beforehand, because if you have um, a game completely collapse around itself it it essentially implode this 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 did happen to me one time i had uh, an entire game collapse because a player wanted to do something that another player was not okay with and uh, the entire thing just exploded and and just broke apart and you want to get this stuff out of the way before something serious happens and you have people that you know that don't talk to each other anymore yep so Let's let's kind of. I think that we kind of have covered mm-hmm. that ad nauseum. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things that you can look into as far as that. But let's move on and and maybe talk about how players want to play the game. And and this is something that I think, unless you make a point of of thinking about, it probably hasn't crossed your mind. I know before I read through some of this stuff, it really hadn't crossed my mind about about how they want to play the game and this is more than what we just talked about about role playing combat and all that stuff this is kind of um style of play for the game like is it a rush gameplay where where you pretty much just go from encounter to encounter and and that's your game or maybe it's it's a little bit uh more free form where where you have you have talking and and there's not really defined encounters maybe even um stuff like that or you could have like a hardcore style of play where everybody is in in character and if you say something that's assumed that your character is is saying that and so if you start talking about i need to get my phone then then the other players might be like what's a phone and and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, and and you've talked about this um, a little bit before because you were talking about uh, <clears throat> whether your party goes to town or not, mm-hmm. right? Because that can make a huge difference between somebody who wants rushed gameplay or slow and breezy. You know, they just want to be chill and relax because some, some groups are more than happy if they end up in a town talking with the mayor, buying a farm, you know, and that's, and that's yay. Uh, and other people... <laughs> They're like, can't we just say that we went to town and sold all this stuff? You give us money, we're going to go to the dungeon. And and they just want to keep hammering at at the campaign or the story or they just want to find other things to loot or murder. That's fine. Um but that is a part of gameplay. You know, you it's it's good to find out even not necessarily even just for your players to know the difference between each other, but how you as a DM need to structure your campaign because if you find out that everybody in your ta- in your in your party is super excited about going to villages and interacting with your townspeople, guess what just got added to your list of things to do before <laughs> session one? And if you weren't <laughs> planning on that, <laughs> yeah, you got to make a mayor. You know that's that's something that just got on your to do list, and so it's it's handy stuff to know. And and then from the the last thing that we kind of have from from the player perspective of of setting those expectations is if you have players that are that are first timers to the game and and maybe first timers to role playing in 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 general um then it probably makes sense to spend some 
spend some special time with them. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it, it could, it could be as in depth as doing something like helping them out with character creation. I, I know that for a lot of people getting into the, the game for the first time, character creation can be very daunting. Uh, if you, if you don't have somebody that can help guide you along, right? Oh, absolutely. And pro tip, if you do a session zero and you have a new player who needs help with making a character and stuff like that, if you happen to have four other experienced players at the table, you just lightened your workload. Yep. <laughs> because there's so many people who can answer that question and in most cases are excited to answer that question and impose their will on your new player. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also with that new player gives you the opportunity if they have if they're uncertain about rules or even just need a high level overview of how a game might go. Um, this is really a good time to do that uh, again because it's not just you there. If you've got other experienced players, they can also chime in with what their experience has been, and it's not just you saying it from the the end perspective. It's them saying, yeah, from a player perspective, this is what I kind of try to do here. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a whole table full of new players, then every time you answer a question, at least you're only answering it once. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, usually. Depends on how well people are listening. <laughs> yeah, there is that. But if you do have something like, like a like a session zero and you and you get a number of questions, especially from new players, what I do recommend is taking note of what those questions are so that you can follow up with an email and say, Hey guys, great having you with our, with our session zero. Wanted to follow up with, these are the things that we talked about and here's some of the rules that people had questions about and, and what I, what I explained for them. So it gives you a way to, um, hopefully have fewer repeat explanations by just giving them, giving them something typed up that, that says, this is the answer to those questions. Oh, for sure. And it it also will create um, a a line of communication between the two of you, which is handy, especially with new people to the group. Um, That being said, if you do have new people to the group, it's also a good time for them to meet. It's it's like a meet and greet, too, right? Um, Where it is more okay for people to talk to each other um, when you're not trying to get everybody into the session. Right. Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. Let's maybe move on and talk a little bit about um, about those DM expectations. And, and so some of this is is explaining to your group what your expectations are for the table, but some of it's also taking cues from the group to understand what 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 their expectations of you might be uh mm-hmm. i think it's probably more the former than the latter but but it does help to understand what what their thoughts about what you should be doing are just so that you can be like 
okay, yeah, we can do that. Or no, I'm not going to do that. You're just going to have to live with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The beauty of house rules. That's like, nope, I'm, I'm the DM. This is the way that I do it. And that is one thing that you're going to want to cover in a session zero. If, if you as a DM um, disagree with something in the rule book or you want to do something different than the rule book states, um, this is a great opportunity to kind of get those rules out in the open um, you know, because if somebody does want to make a, a specific class, but you believe that, because uh, with 5e, you can cast cantrips unlimited, uh, but you're going to put a 25 per day cap on that spell casting, that might change how they want to build their character or mm-hmm. if they want to play the game, you know, if you have special house rules like, like that. Yeah, I I actually was in a conversation with somebody the other day who was saying that that for skill checks they treat any nat one as a an automatic failure, uh, which by the by the 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 way the rules are stated is is not the case. It's it's mm-hmm. whatever the the number plus the bonus is, and if that beats the DC. And I had some questions like, well, hey, rogues have this skill at 11th level called Reliable Talent, which allows them to take anything 9 or lower and set it as a 10 uh, and then add their skill bonuses to that. Does your rule about nat 1s affect that? And he said, oh, yes, absolutely. They still fail if they roll a 1. And as somebody who likes to play rogues, I would have been like, yeah, I I think I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly. It would change how you wanted to run your character or maybe just not want to play the game at all. Yeah, honestly, I probably would have chosen a different character to play other than a rogue. But but if that was my only choice of characters to play, I probably would have been like, yeah, I, I don't know if I care for that. So. I'm going to have to look into that because I love the nat one fail for everything, absolutely everything. And uh, I do have a couple rogues, but they aren't that high of a level. I need to look that up and kind of get more on board with that. Um, something to think about. Another house rule that uh, this this kind of, I think, people don't really think about um, too often is mounts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how often do you have mounts in your campaigns? Um, usually when we talk about mounts, they're just using them for transport. I haven't mm-hmm. had anybody try to get into that much of a fight on a mount so far. So yes, I'm, so I'm happy this, for that. Honestly, in with the <laughs> with the D and D, it's called the unstated mount rule. I found this while I was looking up some stuff. Um, everybody was like, "Well, do you subscribe to the unstated mount rule?" And what the unstated mount rule is is as long as you don't force the DM to look up mounted combat rules, you can have a mount. (laughs) Which Which I got a kick out of because I've been playing for so long and that is definitely a rule. I've never never really acknowledged it, but it absolutely is. It's like, if you don't make me look up, you know, how your longsword interacts while you're riding this giant horse, then fine, you can have a horse. I don't care. I have not heard of that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's these these fun little house rules, um, stuff that you want to talk about. And if you are playing with new players, that might be something that's worth mentioning. It's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm I'm fine with you doing this as long as you don't force me to look up and learn this whole rule set, uh, and then and then we'll be fine. And 
Along with house rules that pertain directly to the game, you also have table rules, right? Yep. So this is where we've discussed some of these before, which is um, having your phones at the table. Obviously, that's that's a big one nowadays with all these mm-hmm. kids and their devices. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, hold on. I'm waiting for the get off my lawn next. <laughs> Yeah, as, as it, it can really pull attention, and sometimes as a DM, that, that can really hurt the feels when you put all this effort in, and uh, and people are are distracted, um, not paying attention, um, stuff like that. And so it's it's good to kind of have that discussion, I think, with players um, at right at the get go, so that they understand that that like if if you don't care, then you don't care, and that's fine. But for me, I. I I find it rude and I find it it offends me like it it hurts my feelings right because um, I put in all this effort and then it just feels like they don't care and so I like to get that across to people it's like I'm not trying to be mean but I mean I did this for you <laughs> yeah you and it's here. a lot easier to have this conversation in the session zero where nobody has set up a pattern of behavior than it is when it's session four or five. And calling it out is obviously going to call out Joe, who's always on his phone. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, there's that too. You... So it, 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 it allows you to avoid singling anyone out. Uh, so it, it, it kind of keeps the vibe at the table, I think, a little bit more friendly. So another, another rule that you might consider talking about about your table rules is really... Um, Mind-altering substances, whether it's alcohol or drugs or or, or whatever. I mean, even something as simple as as, as cigarettes. Um, do you allow those at your table? To what extent do you allow those at your table? And what's the expectation that you have for players um, if you do allow them at the table? Uh, uh, I generally don't have a problem if if somebody wants to drink at the table, as long as they are in in a state where they can still play and not completely um, disrupt the game. And I haven't, mm-hmm. thankfully, not. I, I've not had an instance where that's happened. But it's something that if you're going to allow, you you do need to probably have an idea of what uh, to what level um, of inebriation you'll allow. Mm-hmm. Especially with when you're playing with people that you don't know, um, definitely something you want to kind of get out there because I I know some groups who play until they can't talk because mm-hmm. they're so drunk, and <laughs> and. Like it's it, the game's a mess, right? But that's how they want to play, and that's fine. But that doesn't jive with everybody else, you know. Um, another thing that I think is really important as far as table rules go is meta knowledge. Um, so, for anybody who's not entirely sure what that is, it's the knowledge that a person has that their character doesn't have. So, I know what a cell phone is. Um, my medieval barbarian has no clue what a what a cell phone is and so i have that meta knowledge so if you see the dm rolling dice or if you already know what um what the hit points the average hit points of of an mm-hmm. ogre are that counts as meta knowledge if your character your character wouldn't know that and so how are you going to deal with that at the table what are your expectations from the players with regards to their meta knowledge and how they're supposed to handle it yeah, and so some of this goes to how you, what things that the players say are going to be counted as what things your, uh, what things their characters are saying, and 
And having some sort of simple guideline for what counts, I think, is important. I had a I had a player who was relatively new to the game and would frequently ask NPCs about what their stats were. And <laughs> I, I, I gave them enough confused answers that they finally kind of clued in. But it, it, if you have some sort of, I think if you lay it out early on, it can help with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's a, yeah, that. Sorry, that made me think of a book series I read called The Mayor of Noobtown, uh, where <laughs> this this guy got teleported into a, a a video game world and he can see everybody's stats. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so another handy thing to talk about with... Uh, um, session Zero is your play schedule, right? So a lot of times, though, I feel like this kind of gets discussed ahead of time. Right. Right. Uh, it, never, you're probably uh, not going to be at session zero if if you found out that your 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 schedule wouldn't meet what the game's schedule was. Yeah, most people kind of clear this up before a session zero. It's like, no, we're actually going to play every single night for six hours. Um, you're probably going to know about that before beforehand, but it's still a good time to discuss times and availability. Um, as far as like for the future, um. If you guys haven't nailed down uh, an exact schedule, you might as well just bring it up. You got everybody at the table. Yep. And and while you're doing that, figure out where you're going to play. Uh, sometimes you've got a a static place. Uh, the Pathfinder game that I play, that I run, is generally speaking at my house uh, when we're when we're meeting in person, and that's because I have the technology that I want to do for my little tabletop thing there, and it's just easier to do that way. So I don't have a problem with hosting it there. But sometimes it may be that that you don't have anybody that can have a dedicated. This is where we meet every time. So you need to figure out if you're going to do a rotation or if you're going to. Uh, maybe you maybe you rent a spot. Uh, the game that I play with Malcolm for a little while, we were renting at a a, a local uh, gaming center. We would rent a table, and it was relatively inexpensive. But we kind of had to come to a decision of where are we going to meet. Hmm. I've always been interested about doing that. It sounds like a nice way to go about it, although, like you said, expensive. Um, but I think. So finding out when and where, that's important. But I think the most important thing, the thing that uh, is most important to my players anyways, is the snacks. <laughs> Who is responsible for the snacks and when? Um, if you are having no snacks at your table, um, that would be the first time I've ever heard of a D&D game doing that. But <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of times we, we as a group, we rotate snack bringers. So... Um, but kind of getting that, you know, up and off the table to start with, it's like, you know, we, are we going to do this or what are we going to do? Is everybody just going to do their own thing? Cause it gets a lot cheaper if you just, uh, designate, um, a snack bringer for the night because you can buy bulk or prepare in bulk or whatever, uh, just kind of save some cost for people and maybe expand their palates. We do, um, we do a potluck with our game. So, um, generally everybody brings something. There's no expectation oh, of nice. what that something is. Uh, but usually we have um, at least one main dish. We've got uh, one player that will often bring fr- fried chicken, and then we'll have something else that's a main dish, and then like some 
chips and salsa, possibly uh, salad or veggie dip, stuff like that. So it's a nice little uh, mixture as long as everybody's willing to, to do the potluck. And that can also defray some costs as well. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a nice way of doing it. So once you've kind of talked about the schedule, I think that it's important to talk about what the, uh, for lack of a better term, what the attendance policy is. And, <laughs> and, and this, is, this goes a couple of ways. So I'll, I'll give my, my group as an example. I set up fairly early on that as long as three people made it to the game, that we would still play the game. And if somebody wasn't able to make the game, then their character was not there. And I would typically manufacture some excuse why they weren't there. Luckily, all of the times that I've had people not show up, which has not been a whole lot, uh, but but when I when I have had them, it's it's usually been at a, at a nice break where I've been able to say, oh yeah, they were doing this and they wandered off, or they decided to go somewhere else, or oh hey, they didn't emerge from the portal that you guys jumped into at the at the end of the last session, whatever it, whatever it was. But having mm-hmm. some sort of defined whatever it is. Um, some sort of defined policy for attendance with your group. And and that policy may be like, oh, the story is too important. We can't have anybody miss it. So if anybody misses, we're, we're not going to play. I don't recommend it, but that could be your policy. Yeah. <laughs> I know one table has, uh, and, and this person really, really likes player attendance, um, but their policy is, is if you don't show up to the game, then your character basically falls under a stupefaction spell for the duration of that wow. session. Yeah. And so, <laughs> or they'll hand the character off to the most reckless player to be commanded. Um, and be, and it used to stress people out. So they'd always show up. It's like, no, I can't miss <laughs> something bad's going to happen to my person if I miss. And so there's different ways of doing it. Um, I, me personally, I just phase people in and out of existence at will, you know, so, uh, it all depends on your personal flavor. Yep. And once you've kind of defined that, uh, it, it's, it's helpful to, to, def- and, and this is also something that probably you discussed before session zero, but to talk about how long you're going to play for. So that could be taken two ways. It could be how long each individual session will take, but it could also be how long the entire campaign might last, how many sessions you expect it to be. Because some people want to look at a, a particular time frame that they're able to play. Maybe, they, maybe they're on a break from school and they can play over summer break or something like that, or... Or maybe they know that they're changing jobs in six months or whatever that may be. But some people want to know when the how long the set how long the campaign's gonna go. Most people want to know how long the sessions will go just so they can plan out their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've never until I was preparing for, for this this episode, I had never considered having any sort of expectation for when a campaign ended. <laughs> <laughs> I've, so I've had like, people ask me about it and, and I've never ever been able to give them an answer, uh, but they did have a, a hard exit and they stuck to that hard exit and we just kind of worked around it. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I just, and I mean, yeah, some people, they got stuff going on. I just, I had honestly never considered it. I was like, the game goes as long as the game goes. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, so, at, once you've got your player attendance, your playtime, and all that stuff kind of worked out, uh, then you can hit up all of the other game-related rules. We can't, 
we can't go over each and every one of these rules, but just a couple of ideas for you guys is, is are you going to allow min-maxing your characters, you know, having super high stats and crashing other stats? Um, spotlighting, which is where, you know, if somebody, if one of your players at the table really, really enjoys taking the spotlight, you know, you have to have discussions about how you're going to mitigate that. Uh, how you're going to handle rules debate, how your group is going to get their XP, um, how you're going to, it, are you going to be tracking the weight of these characters? Are you going to be making sure that they eat their breakfast, their lunch, and their dinner? <laughs> um, you know, are you going to allow PvP? Like, if one of your players is like, hey, I would really like to, um, you know, I, I shank this guy in his sleep, my friend. It's like, are you going to allow that? That's stuff that you should have these discussions about before the game kind of gets underway. Absolutely. And I find that the I I always try to make sure to set expectations around that PvP just because when it comes up, it can be so unexpected. And if you haven't set the rule beforehand, you're, you can be kind of like, oh, 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 I, I, what am I doing here? Uh, so mm-hmm. generally speaking, it, except for special occasions, I don't allow that at my game. It's, it's supposed to be collaborative. So the players have to find a way to work together. Sure. They can argue. Sure. They can, sure. They can do things, but, but, Typically, I'm not going to allow one player to kill another and, and ruin their fun, so to speak. But that's me. Mm-hmm. It may not be the same for your game. Well, and talking about these types of characters kind of leads us into our next point, which is, um, you know, with your session zeros, talking about characters, um, the building or finishing up of characters, and the characters' party fit. So you're talking about characters who are, are well, evil or jerks, right? Because they're basically the same. Well, they're not basically the same. They're very different. But if you have, um, are you going to allow an evil character in your campaign? That's that's a that's a big question. That's something that actually really really, in my opinion, requires some thinking. Um, the same and with the jerk character because that can put some real strain on your party. And I feel like the evil character is going to largely depend upon the player and whether you think that they can actually play someone that is evil but that is not like sabotaging the group at every turn because the, the two are not the same you can have evil characters that can mesh with a good party because they're pursuing their own goals um but but and that can work but if you have somebody that's just playing a, a like caricature of an evil character that can be really problematic for the party it can it can it can put some real strain on that uh, on the enjoyment for the other players especially when your other players want to be heroes and you have one of your party members who's like tee i'm going to murder this village it's you know it can put a real downer on on the hero complex that you're trying to build right <laughs> And the other kind is uh, the the loner type character. Uh, this can get, for me anyways, when you have a player who is like, no, no, I don't work well with others, but they're trying to join your, your party, you know, <laughs> are you, you know, it's, are you going to allow loner type characters? Because in a large sense, they don't really mesh that well with a party. And, and the, the key thing I think to keep in mind with any of those types of characters is it is not wholly your job as the DM to find a reason for them to join the party. It is the player's 
uh, job to find why they why they might be party joining this party, why they might be adventuring with this group. Um, so just bear that in mind. Don't feel like you have to take on the entire thing. No, that's part of um, build your characters or your players, sorry, building their character backgrounds. And which, by the way, is something that I always encourage. Uh, in my experience, the more a player invests in their backstory for their character, the more invested they are in the character overall. And uh, it can get you a lot more buy-in to your game. Uh, sometimes what I do is I've got this little character background questionnaire because um, some of my players aren't that into writing their backgrounds. And so I give them this questionnaire. It gives them a structured environment to fill it out. It lets them learn about their characters. It lets me learn about their characters. And uh, and everybody can kind of build up from there. And it just generally builds a better better session, in my opinion. Yeah, uh and we've talked about backgrounds some on the show before. I think it's I think it can really get get uh player buy-in with their character in this world. And so the more that you can get uh your players to put at least a little bit of effort into it, uh, the I, I feel like the smoother your campaign is potentially gonna go. Mm-hmm. That and you can if if everybody's here at a session zero um and you know where everybody is like geographically where they are because everybody else is just creating this person in thin air. Um, you can also help them determine where in your world they are from. Right. And mm. then taking that to the next step, you can also use that, leverage that to understand how the party knows each other. Um, rather than having kind of an awkward, weird first session where you as the DM are trying to force them to meet each other and maybe have players not go along with that forced meeting and make it even more awkward, you can just, in session zero, be like, all right, well, let's talk about how everybody knows each other and mm-hmm. and, and avoid the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and there's if you look it up online, there's a couple of really cool, interesting ways to use index cards and dice to determine you know how to mix the, the player backgrounds together. Um, and you can really help build party cohesion right off the hop. If in your session zero, you know, you've got people, it's like these two have known each other for four years. These two have crossed paths six times, whatever it happens to be. And this can this can actually build your party better and and make the start of the session a really a more strong start, in my opinion, than, you know, your 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 standard or static you meet in a tavern you know which seems to be a popular one yeah well and then beyond the the players knowing each other you can also start defining maybe who they know in the world because let's face it if they are living in this world when when they start your game chances are they know some people it's not just like everybody's yeah all my friends are dead um (laughs) this isn't this isn't like game of thrones where everybody dies or anything (laughs) um so it 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 helps to help it helps to kind of work with the players to define what sorts of contacts they might have where those contacts in the world might be so that as they play through it they can be like oh yeah i I know Joel, the blacksmith in this town. We should go talk to him. It's been a couple of years since we hung out kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. And and as, if you've got everybody there, you're building up their ties between each other. You're building up their ties between 
um, NPCs throughout the world. And because this is a session zero, you're not interrupting the game at all. And so you can you can answer all of these questions. You can give backstory. You can give exposition, whatever it is you want to do. You can answer any character creation questions. I'm sure every DM has got them before. Like, hey, is it okay if my dad died when I was four, but I've been hunting his killer since I was 16? Is that okay? You know, everybody's gotten these questions. Maybe not that one, but... People ask I think they've probably gotten and, that question. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, a, it's a very real possibility. And, uh, and so you can kind of just get all of that out of the way, nice, quick and clean, and uh, it's not going to interrupt your actual game flow. Yep. All right. So the last thing that you might want to do as part of your uh, session zero is set the scene. And, and by set the scene, it's really kind of giving them – an amuse-bouche, that, that like taste of what your world might be like. And, and this serves a couple of different purposes, I feel like. It, first off, it gets, it gets the player's mind ready for the game. Like They can get excited about what's potentially going to be happening um, um, and, and just be ready when, when you get to session one. Um, second off, I kind of see this as, as a way to give them the background that their character would probably already know just being a character living in the world again right Mm-hmm. yeah you, like they as much as they've created this character from nothing and they exist in nothing you're putting them into a world that they have lived into whatever age they currently are probably you have to add that probably because it's D um <laughs> but <laughs> so it's it's not like they just materialized they would have known a tanner back in their hometown or the cobbler that they passed on the street four weeks ago and talked to for an hour you know they they have interacted with other people they know things about this world um that your players definitely don't know yep and by doing that again you're you're tying them into the into the world you're giving them that background so that when they start playing it's not just a bunch of questions about well what does this mean in this land or anything like that you can give them if there's if there's customs that are important if there's if there's uh as we talked about the on the the calendar episode if there's specific holidays or or something that they need to know about you can lay this groundwork for them and you can either do that with um, with you just telling them in session zero, uh, Malcolm kind of had this pretty comprehensive document that he gave to the players. Mixed results there, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, because not everybody read it. Um, whereas if you talk about it at session zero, everybody's there and, and can hear it as long as they're potentially paying attention. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's also a really great opportunity to to build up some excitement. Like once once you're nearing the end of your session zero, um, and you do this this scene setting, you can you can use this to kind of get everybody jazzed up about the campaign that's about to happen. Um, you can do that with with exposition, like you said, that like a big document. Uh, there was one session I did where the party was going to start by encountering a murder at a theater troupe, and so before everybody left for the night, all I did was give everybody a theater ticket. Nice. Yeah, and so it it, it intrigued them, and they all came back, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the theater. I'm not coming back. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, that gives us a good bit of 
good bit of stuff uh, for our session zero. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, I think that's pretty much it. Just make sure to have your structure. Do a quick Google search. You can find lists if you're not sure what all to put on there. And uh, yeah, just run through it. And, and you'd be surprised at how helpful doing something like this can really be. And really take notes on on those things that the players bring up because those can be um, those can be things that you share back with them in a follow up email. But it can also be seeds for ideas for the future. If somebody maybe lets slip of something that's important to them, you can leverage that for a for a potential future story idea as well. So absolutely. Um, well, thank you for joining us again. Uh, this is our last episode of the year, so we will see you next year. Uh, and uh, until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.